Welcome back. I'm Brian Metzger and this is Inscription. Whether you feel far from God and you want to change that or you already have a relationship with God and you just want to go deeper, this is the place for you. Brothers and sisters, we're preparing the readings for the fifth Sunday of Easter. And before we get into the readings for that day, we're going to take a look at the Hebraic calendar. And we're in the midst of the month of Ar and the counting of the Omer. And just a reminder, every month it has its own letter, it has its own tribe, it has its own spiritual meaning. And so we're going to start to break some of that down right now. The, the month of Er, it's spelled I-Y-A-R. Remember, it's called the month of radiance, partly because the, the name Ir, it's comes from the word or, which is the Hebrew word for light. So when God said, let there be light, this is that, this is that light. This is that endless light of the creator that he started to compress and concentrate and communicate to us limited beings through creation. And so this ER has that radiance shining through. But in addition to that mystical dimension of it, they also see the month of ER and the month of radiance in a very practical way because of the springtime, all of creation's waking up. And so the, the buds and the blossoms are breaking forth and the light is, is, is breaking, the endless light of the creator is shining forth through the creation. So month of ER, month of radiance. Also, IR is a, an anacronym for uh, I am God, your healer. So God says to us that he is going to be our healer. And I love this uh, definition of this explanation of the word um, salvation. One of the Greek words behind salvation is sozo, which means saved, healed, and delivered. And so right now, Israel, as they're, as they're in celebrating the, and remembering the month of IR, they are... Uh, especially dialing, dialing into that relationship with God, a God who reveals himself to them as their healer. I am God, your healer. So that's a special grace, a special energy that's available for this month of IR. The tribe for this month is the tribe of Issachar. And if you look throughout the Holy Land, all the 12 tribes, they all had their own parcel of land. And if you look right around, remember that Jesus is from Galilee or the Galilee, which is that, that, that piece of land that's right next to the Sea of Galilee. And there were three tribes that overlapped in that area of the Galilee. One of them was Zebulun and Naphtali, and you can hear that from the prophets, and, and you hear that quoted in the Gospels, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where the, the Messiah comes back to. Um, so, But the, there's a third tribe that's tucked in there that isn't spoken about as much, and that's the, the tribe of Issachar. And the tribe of Issachar, again, right, right in with the Sea of Galilee, the tribe of Issachar was known for being the keepers of the times and the seasons. They had the wisdom of the times and the seasons. And what does that mean? They were the one that were mapping the, the feast of the new moons and the feast of the full moons as, as Israel celebrated what God was uh, celebrated what God was doing in the earth through the calendar and could remember what God did through their history by the tracking of those times and seasons. So in fact, as we have this love for the oral tradition around Torah and the reason we have this love for the Hebraic calendar is because it becomes a place where we can access that oral tradition. It was the work of the tribe of Issachar that uh, that helped to pass on these stories and to keep this all in, in sync. We also remember that right now Israel is in that period of time between 
being rescued from Egypt through at Passover to the giving of Torah at Mount Sinai. And there are 50 days that Israel counts, and they refer to it as the, the counting of the Omer, or the Sephirat of the Omer. And last time we talked about how the word Sephirat, it's actually a little bit higher and loftier than simply counting. It's, it's, it's the cutting and the keeping track and the making perfect as a, as, a, as a diamond, as a raw diamond needs to be cut and polished in order to have the maximum amount of light to pass through it. And in these 50 days, the, the tribe of Issachar would be playing an important role at, at tracking every day. And for every day, every day of these 50 days represents one step on the journey. Now, of course, you can imagine that as they're walking from Egypt to Mount Sinai, they're taking more than one step a day, but it, it's symbolic for every day is symbolic of one step on the journey and one cut on the stone as that diamond becomes more and more perfectly cut and more and more perfectly polished so that the, the maximum amount of light can pass uh, through the light, through the diamond, and be radiated in every direction, and so this, uh, so this, this counting of the Omer, this purification, we t we spoke about it. It's the, it's a, it's an introspective journey that Israel is going on right now, to to look at what are the thoughts behind my words. You might remember that last month was the month of Nisan, is the month that the Passover happened in, and in the month of Nisan the the spiritual sense that they were working on were their words. But now in this month, in the month of Iyar, the spiritual sense is the thoughts. And so that's that in interior life. And one of the things that we recognize in that, that Israel recognizes and that we can see as well from our own experience is that the, the, the thoughts are the precursor of your words. <laughs> so before their words, their thoughts in your mind. And so how to purify that. Now they would say in these 50 days there and these 50 cuts of the diamond that even if you're one cut short there's there's a there's an imperfection there's uh, that yeah they'll they'll talk about if you only have 49 of the 50 that you're going to suffer from sickness and so this is one of the reasons that it's important that the month of ER is that we remember God says, I am your healer. So I'm the one who's going to bring all 50 cuts to make them happen perfectly, to make that diamond be perfectly polished. And so the maximum amount of light can shine forth. And so, so they call these, each one of these steps and each one of these 50 days, they call them the 50 gates of holiness. And one of the, one of the lessons that we can take from this is we, we're counting our own 50 days right now from the time of Jesus's resurrection to the outpouring at Pentecost. Um, one of the lessons that we could take is, is that these, yeah, that these 50 gates of holiness, okay, is that there are, we are either opening and walking through gates of godliness or of ungodliness. There's, there's, there's only two choices. And so every time we choose at a moment to walk through a gate of godliness, we're closing a gate of ungodliness and opening a gate of godliness. In the same token, though, every time we choose to walk through a gate of ungodliness or impurity, we're opening that, that door and we can either go down that road that becomes continually darker 
or we can go down that road that becomes continually brighter. And so this is this is what Israel is remembering at that time. This is what, and and we can learn from that ourselves as we prepare for 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 our Pentecost to to remember and celebrate and access the grace that's available through uh, through our Pentecost. So. Now, the, the, the portion of Torah that's being read right now is from the book of Leviticus. And in Hebrew, the, the book of Leviticus is, has a different name. It's called Vayakra. And the, uh, so Vayakra means that's the, that's the opening line of the book of Leviticus. And that's God calling to Moses from the tent. The tabernacle has now been built. It's been filled with his glory. And Moses is outside the tent. And God calls to Moses from the tent. And he starts to instruct Moses on what it takes to be able to enter into the tent, enter into the tabernacle, the Hebrew word for that's the mishkan, enter into that mishkan, enter into God's radiance. And in fact, the gospel for today, we're going to hear Jesus talk about, I am the true vine. And he says, and he talks about, uh, abide in me even as I abide in you. And so there's this mutual abiding in one another. So the name of Leviticus, the very name of the book in Hebrews, Vayakra, it's God's call. And God called to Moses, come into the tent with me. But I want, but yeah, but I need to instruct you on what it takes to to share life with the divine, to fully participate in that endless light of the Creator, and so this is these are these are powerful meditations for us as followers of Jesus on on partnering for this deeper level of connection. So so the okay so the tribe of Issachar okay the 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 Hebrew letter for the month is the is the letter Vav, and that's the sixth letter in the app. Uh, the Aleph Bet, um, the uh, Aleph Bet Gimel Delet Hey Vav. It's the sixth letter. It represents Adam, who was created on the sixth day. And you'll also remember that Adam represents both Adam and Eve. It's before the two were separated. The two were still one. The two were separated so that the two could become one. So there's this whole dynamic tension that happens throughout the biblical story about being separated so that you could be more united. Um, so, but this, uh, but the, but the man of the sixth day, so, so the Vav is the man of the sixth day. Now the Vav is the upright man, is the righteous man. So one of the things that Israel in this, in the, in Leviticus chapter 21, which is the portion of, of Vayakra or the portion of Leviticus that's being read today, the, the key word is Emar, E-M-O-R. And and Rashi, one of the great rabbi sages of the past, he was around the time of the Renaissance through the, the 16th century. Rashi points out that this word imar is used twice in that opening portion of the Torah that's being read now, Leviticus chapter 21. Um, and imar translates as God speaks. And, and Rashi points out this verb is used twice in there. Why is the verb used twice in there? God speaks, God speaks to the priests about how to walk in holiness. And the, the lesson that we want to take as God's priestly people is that he is calling to us about how to walk in holiness. But he doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. God speaks God speaks. And it's not this, it's this, it's God speaks to us gently, but persistently. And in fact, the word emar, similar to the word or for light and uh, er for the month, 
and even Zoar, it means to shine, shine forth. So this, this Amar, so the authority with which God calls to us is an authority that shines to us, and it shines to us with love. And so the of the essence of opening all 50 gates of holiness, so the maximum amount of light of the, of the maximum amount of the endless light of the Creator can shine through us, of the essence for it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is this is fascinating to me that that this because as when Jesus is walking in his on his uh, rabbinical platform and, and giving his teacher he, teaching he's asked like what the greatest command is and you know and he says love your neighbor as yourself and so one of the things that's so fascinating to me is this region that we're talking about in the Galilee with the, the tribes of not just Zebulun and Naphtali but also Issa, uh, the tribe of Issachar. These are all right around the Sea of Galilee there. This is the richest rabbinic school as well. And the, so the great rabbis that come from there in, the, uh, it, in 100 AD, at the turn of the century in there, you have Rabbi Akiva, then you have um, his, 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 disi- his disciple, his student is, is Rashbi. And Rashbi is the author of the Zohar, which is one of those commentaries, one of those spiritual commentaries that writes down that oral tradition around Torah. But the fact that these two legendary names, Akiva and Rashbi, both come from that Galilee region, and you even hear their teaching so harmonious with the teaching of Jesus, making the essence of holiness, the love of your neighbor, the way that you maximize and open up all 50 gates of holiness, all 50 gates of godliness, so that the fullness of the endless light of the Creator can shine through you to uh, to everyone. And so, and again and again, the more you hear their teachings, the more you're like, that sounds just like Jesus. You can so hear the gospel in these sages of Israel. So Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Rashbi, the author of the Zohar, and in fact, it's during this month of Iyar that they that Israel remembers with love the, the death of Rashbi and celebrates the gift of the Zohar that so much of this oral tradition was written down. One other giant in in the sages of Israel and the the, the rabbis of antiquity is um, Akiva Rashbi is is Isaac Loria the Ariza he's called the Lion so he shows up much later but he's in I think it's uh, fourteen. 1400 years later, Isaac Loria, the Arizel, the lion, shows up. But he's in that same region. He has this same mystical, and he's the one who marks it's now time. And this would be during the 16th century when there was so much spiritual growth in the church. There was a tremendous purification and a reformation, a revitalization. There were reformers outside the church, but there were also reformers inside the church. There were also reformers in Israel, and one of those was was um, was Rabbi was Isaac Luria, the, uh, the 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 Arizel, the lion, and he's the one who said at that time we must make these secrets known. Now is time. The world is ready for these secrets to be made known. But it's amazing to me that spiritual masters were being raised up 
all over the world at that time. So you have St. Saint, Saint Teresa of Avila raised up at that time, St. John of the Cross raised up at that time, St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Je Jesuits, raised up at that time, um, as well as Felix Cantalise and Philip Neri. And so all of these giants are, are, are being raised up at that time. So an incredible time of godly enlightenment happening happening then we we see this this god working in all of his in all of his children in all of his communities god is always at work so um, what else gives so the the letter the letter vav that we which is the letter of this month is that that letter of the upright man and another way of saying the upright man is the righteous man but this is Melchizedek. Jesus is Melchizedek. He's the king of righteousness. And as we are crucified with him and raised with him, that we become the very righteousness of God because he's the very righteousness of God. And this righteousness of God is that fullness of the endless light of the creator shining forth through you. And how will it be seen? It will be seen when you walk by that teaching, love your neighbor as yourself, this this, this perfect uh, this perfect expression. Why is that? Because all of creation is for the purpose of God's said that his loving kindness would be manifest on the earth. And what is that loving kindness manifest on the earth? It's called the, the flower of the field. And so, uh, and, and so in this month of Iyar, the month of radiance, where the flowers are breaking forth, this is what we see. All of creation is created to be this manifestation of God's loving kindness. And so when his people walk in that, and as Israel is, is approaching now halfway uh, between Passover and, uh, and the giving of Torah at Sinai, there's a unity that's happening amongst the people. And the Vav is connecting the heavens above with the earth below. The Vav is connecting the, the, yeah, the secret of the power of the Vav, who is the power of Christ, is connecting the future and the past, the world above and below, but connecting the people with one another. And this is a time of incredible manifestation of the glory of God on the earth, but this is also giving us a key of how to open up the secret of Pentecost. So brothers and sisters, now come with me to the first reading, which is Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verse 26 to 31. Open your Bibles. It's worth it. Make make the effort. <laughs> the uh, And again, don't believe it because I'm telling you that it's worth it. Test and verify it for yourself. Open up the Bible. Follow with the words or open up your Bible apps. I don't mind either way, but just to see the words, to read the words with me and to let, allow yourself to be before the radiance of the words. I love it. The, the rabbis of Israel called the word of God on the Torah, on the, on the pages, they called it the black and the white fire. So stand with me before the black and the white fire. Let him blaze before you. Acts of the Apostles chapter 9 verse 26 to 31. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Then Barnabas took charge of him and brought him to the apostles and reported to them how he had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. He moved about freely with them in Jerusalem and spoke about boldly in the name of Jesus. So we have twice talking about him speaking out boldly. He spoke out boldly in the name of Jesus. He also spoke and debated with the Hellenists, but they tried to kill him. 
And when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him on his way to Tarsus. The church throughout all of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. It was being built up and walked in the fear of the Lord, and with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. The word of the Lord. So what we're looking at here is God's movement in a post-Pentecost church. This is Acts 9. So Pentecost has already happened. And the power of Pentecost, which is the power of, of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, I, I once heard the Acts of the Apostles described as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. So you have four gospels, the gospel of Jesus, and then one gospel, the gospel of the Holy Spirit. So, so the Acts of the Apostles is, is as much as it's accounting, is, is it's an accounting of the Acts of the Apostles, it's an, it's an accounting of the Acts of the Apostles under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so you see the Holy Spirit moving so powerfully. And the, so that their greatest enemy, Saul, who is going around persecuting, has this encounter. He sees the Lord and he becomes their greatest ally. So here, when, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he was taken by, they were still afraid of him. So now also, there's a really beautiful and powerful parallel between another Saul from the Old Testament, which was the, the King Saul, who was going after to kill David, God's anointed one. Just like this Saul was raised up in a position of authority and coming after to kill God's anointed ones, the, the, the early church. However, in the Old Testament, David was, was never able to conquer Saul. So David was able to love Saul and love the Lord's anointed, and David was able to walk in righteousness even though he's being persecuted by Saul. But we never saw Saul come to this level of transformation that Saul of the Old Testament come to the level of transformation that Saul of the New Testament happened that happens when? On the road to Damascus, when he sees the Lord, and that brings about this radical transformation in his character. This is a critical insight about what the actual proposal of the gospel is, that the transformation of our character doesn't come about because of a proposal of a set of rules to live by, but that the transformation of our character comes about through an encounter with the risen Lord. And so you'll see that that encounter is central to the, the teachings. This is the, this is the center point of the theology of St. Paul as well as the center point of the theology of St. Peter. If you go back and you look at their writings, Paul had this face-to-face -face encounter with the one who was so bright that it blinded him on the road to Damascus. And Peter had this encounter with, the, with, the, with Christ on, on Mount Tabor. Now, you can also see that Peter's encounter uh, on Mount Tabor, that was just the beginning because he's going to go down to the cross and he's going to betray, he's going to deny Jesus three times and he's going to take some time to get back in. But but what's key is the, the source and the origin of the transformation. <laughs> the source and the origin of the transformation is the is this is this encounter with Christ to to see Christ to see the brightness and remember we're all, we're talking about in this month of IR connecting with the endless light of the creator Jesus is the person 
is the divine person and the incarnation of the endless light of the Creator. So the more clearly we perceive Him, the more deeply we will be transformed by Him. All those cuts of the diamond will happen more perfectly, and the light, the endless light of the Creator, will shine for through us so radically that we not. It's more than just simply love your neighbor as you would love yourself, but it's even love love your enemies. And so, okay, so Paul moved about freely. He spoke boldly. So Paul's definitely flipped over from a natural power grid to a supernatural power grid. He's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. What I want to highlight here is, again, remember, as much as the Acts of the Apostles is about the Apostles, it's about the Apostles acting under the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we need to see. What does that look like? Because we desire this too. We want to welcome that too. We want to say, yet, you know, the Holy Spirit's always looking for a resting place. The dove is always looking for a resting place. The Holy Spirit is in you for you, but he's on you for others. So we want to, and, and that's actually one of the secrets that Israel would talk about for the receiving the endless side of the Creator is the desire to receive in order to share. And so so Holy Spirit's in you for you, but he's on you for others. If you want the Holy Spirit to rest on you, which he's always looking for a resting place, part of the secret is to desire to receive him so that you may be able to share him. Uh, the Now, and we see this, what's happening, it says the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So that's why I spent a little time talking about that region of Galilee, which is such a, a fertile land, not just because it's near the Sea of Galilee, but it's a, it's a fertile land in, in its spiritual teaching. That, and that this is also the place, this is where Tabor is. Tabor is in that area. Nazareth is in that area. Cana is in that area. The, 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 where the first miracle that Jesus worked, turning water into wine, is in that area. Nazareth, where, where Mary and Joseph had a home and Jesus was raised in the Galilee. So, so, and then so many of the sites, if you look around the Sea of Galilee, so many of Christ, the stories from the Gospels and the, and the miracles that Christ worked happened in that area. And that area would be part of what's what's known as as a, as a Syriac school. It's the, the Syria actually comes down and touches that that Galilee region. But that's one of the richest. And the, the Syriac fathers, I'm talking about Saint Ephraim the Syrian and Saint Isaac the Syrian. They carry on this same mystical tradition that lies very uh, hand in glove with the teachings of the rabbis around that region. And so I would argue that these Semitic fathers of the church are important to see side by side with the Greek fathers of the church and with the Latin fathers of the church. They're all important, but we they're most important and most powerful when we see them in their complementarity to one another. So in this, it says that the the church throughout this whole area of Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. So Judea is down where Jerusalem is, Samaria is the region in between, and Galilee is that northernmost part of the, of the Holy Land. But all three of these regions are at peace. Now this is a, this peace is a peace that's much more than just the absence of conflict. This peace is the peace that's the presence of God, and in this peace, this is the peace that corresponds to the Hebraic word shalom which in is yes it's the presence of god but it also denotes oneness and prosperity and you can see the word that they use to describe it is is they're they're growing in numbers they're they're multiplying in numbers the the greek word is is that that maximizing the growth seeing that happen but it's happening effortlessly it's not happening they they're 
They're moving from a place of rest. You know, the only labor that we're allowed to do as followers of Jesus is, is, the, is the work that's necessary in order to rest more in him. And when we move from rest, we'll get more done than when we move from self-reliance and make it our own responsibility. Now, uh, what else I want to highlight here is, is it says that the whole church, this gathering of the people, were being built up. So the church is, you know, there's a way in which when I grew up, when I said I'm going to go to church, I was talking about going to a building. And there's a way in which we need to have a deeper understanding of churches more than just buildings. It's the, it's the connection between people. And Jesus talks about us. He says we will be living stones and he'll be the cornerstone and our place will be when, when, we're, when we are rest against him. And when we find our place, you know, that, that the cornerstone was the stone that all the other stones rested against. And when we rest against him, we become that temple of the Lord. But the temple of the Lord is for the purpose of recreating the Garden of Eden on the earth, the place of easy intimacy with God, where all of humanity walks with God in the cool of the day when that Ruah breeze comes after the blistering burden of the sun starts to set. There's that cool moment where we, the, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus preached the easy button, so I'm not afraid to preach the easy button. Okay, yea, God, and then they also, it says, and then with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, they grew it, they grew in numbers. And so this, this consolation, another word is comfort. Life begins outside your comfort zone so that you can start to recognize the comfort of the Holy Spirit. There's a divine comforter. And this is part of being leaders of the next generation is under that anointing of the Holy Spirit, able to transmit certainty, to create certainty for others. Um, and to do it not by our own strength, not by power, not by might, but by your spirit, Lord. All right. So now we're going to move to Psalm 22, and this is a powerful psalm. You remember Psalm 22 was the psalm that Jesus prayed while he was on the cross on Good Friday. And, but however, and we talked about how that psalm goes back and forth between a victim consciousness and a conqueror consciousness. Well, the lines that are quoted today are on the other side. They're, they're not in that, that dark, which is a fearless acknowledgement of the, of, the, of the pain and the difficulty that Christ was in on every level, physical, emotional, uh, psychological, and spiritual. Uh, he's not afraid to name that, but he also knows that he's not defined by that. He's defined by his loving Father in heaven. And so he walks in the conqueror consciousness or this, this victory mindset. The, uh, and so here we go. It says, I will fulfill um, Psalms 22, verse 26 to 27. The antiphon is, I will praise you, Lord, in the assembly of your people. So Jesus is on the cross, and totally alone, but he has a vision. And for those who have vision, no patience is necess necessary. And so while he's on the cross, he can see God's already done it, which is the final line of that psalm. It's already done. Uh, I will fulfill my vows before the Lord, those who fear the Lord. The lowly shall eat their fill, and all who seek the Lord shall praise him. May your hearts live forever. And so this fear of the Lord is part of turning toward and opening to that endless light of the Creator, which, is in, which engages you on the, the deepest part of our, of, our, of, our, of our physicality. And that deepest part is that survival instinct, that fear brain, fight, flight, and freeze. When the endless light of the Creator 
touches that and elevates it and raises it up, it's the most exhilarating feeling that there is. So being, you'll know that you're fully open to the endless light of the Creator when you feel that fear of the Lord and it raptures you and captures you and captivates you as you become fascinated with the one that you behold who's seated on the throne, who's, 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 who's shining with the light of seven days. The second verse says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn toward the Lord. All the families of the nations shall bow down before him. And so this is a picture of the earth as the Garden of Eden, as that manifestation of God's of the Hesed, God's loving kindness, the flower of the field, as it is seen in every level, in every family, in every nation. All the ends of the earth uh, remember. And this even this word remember has this connotation that goes back and forth. First, God remembers us whereby he pierces us and indwells us. And then we remember him whereby we pierce and penetrate him and indwell in him. We'll see that, that, that that's the language that's going to come up again with the I am the true vine and it, abide in me as I abide in you. The, the third verse is from verse 30. It says, to him alone shall bow down all who sleep in the earth. Before him shall bend all who go down into the dust. And so there's a way in which when we see death, when we experience death, when we, uh, that it seems like death had the final word, but we see in Christ, he conquered death by death. And so even in our death, our knee doesn't bow to death, our knee bows to him. And so to see that victory, even to, to be able to walk by faith and not by sight is to recognize that faith is another type of ver- vision that can help you to see God's victory even in the midst of it. And again, this is something that's meant to be experienced. It's not about the idea of it. It's about the experience of it. God wants to lead you to it by your own experiences. He's going to stack those experiences, those, those moments of conviction, until you come to that place of unshakable confidence in, in, his, in his victory, which he's making your victory. And the final verse, it says, And to him my soul shall live. My descendants shall serve him. Let the coming generation be told of the Lord that they may proclaim to a people yet to be born the justice God has has shown. And so this is a beautiful and powerful proclamation that Christ makes on the cross here about these countless generations to come, the people yet to be born. And that's the literal meaning, but there's also a spiritual meaning, a people yet to be born uh, that which is about the the phenomena being born again, put to death in the flesh, given life in the spirit, to be born again, to access. You know, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you become, unless you're born again of water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So we're reminded here that not only could Jesus see the kingdom, even in the darkness of the cross, he could see the kingdom but that also he's calling us to be able to see the kingdom. And the key to see the kingdom is that being born again experience. So you have the both death and birth both have the same spiritual meaning to it. Put to death in the flesh, given life, the, uh, given life in the... Um, put to death in the flesh, given life in the realm of the spirit is the death way of speaking about it. But the being born again, when you're born again of water in the spirit, it gives you, there are two ways of talking about the same doorway that gives you access to this spiritual vision. 
All right, so then we're going to move to 1 John, and this is the, the first of John's letters, the first of the epistles of John. So it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. So scroll with me down to that part of your scripture, um, whether you have turned the pages of the book before you or you um, press the buttons on your, on your app to get there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 to 24. And once again, we hear John, who was, when he was younger and following Jesus, he was known as the son of thunder because he said, you know, for the people that didn't want to receive the word, he said, Jesus, should we call down fire on him? Because he's already, he'd already seen that he can heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons with the power of God. And so he's, he was walking in ego at that time. And, but, but Jesus drew John in and permitted John to be able to listen to his own heartbeat, the very heartbeat of God. And in listening to that heartbeat of Christ, to that, that heartbeat of Jesus, the heartbeat of God, a transformation takes place in John, and he flips from a son of thunder to the beloved disciple. And this is we see the same thing as Saul becomes Paul. And we see the same thing as, as, as fiery Peter who cuts off the ear of the soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, becomes this, uh, just this, this tender and, and uh, yeah, fire-breathing apostle. So, all right. So, so, so John, here we go. First John says, uh, Children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. So remember, what's that secret to being filled with the endless light of the Creator? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the key to opening up all 50 of those gates of holiness, of those gates of godliness, of um, being fully permeated and penetrated by the divine light. And to have that passion to be able to receive for the sake of being able to share. And this now this is how he we shall know that we belong to the truth and reassure our hearts before him in whatever our hearts condemn. For God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence in God and receive from him whatever we ask. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And his commandment is this, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another, there's that teaching, love one another just as he commanded. Those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. There's that mutual um, abiding in one another. Jesus is going to speak about it in the, again in the gospel. And those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit that he gave us. And so very similar, uh, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. And so very similar to that first reading where it talks about the church in Judea and Galilee and Samaria was at peace and they walked in, they were being built up as they walked in the fear of the Lord, so that fullness of openness to the to the brightness of God, that and and they they walked they walked in the fear of the Lord and in increased in the consolation of the Holy Spirit. So this is that this is that 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 comforter. Yeah, that this this is why it's so critical that our relationship with God be based on experience 
you know, so, so Paul says faith comes through hearing. So it is necessary to hear, but what we're looking for is to hear, to hear in such a way that brings us into the experience of it. So it's not enough just to have somebody else tell me about it, but once I'm told about it, I start to look for its manifestation in my own life. He's not just Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, he's not, they're not just the... <laughs> yeah, His presence isn't just leading the church in history. The, pre, the presence, his, their presence isn't just leading the church in present time. God's presence is leading me. And in my everyday, in my concrete experiences, and through every variation and permutation that life circumstance can bring, the presence of God is here. And even in the darkest of circumstances, His presence is ensuring that there are going to be bright sparks of godliness that he's showing me and he's showing you how to find those sparks and to gather them and separate them from the darkness and to lift them up so that we can be a part of magnifying the light rather than increasing the darkness. And so those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know he remains is the spirit he gave us. So he's talking about an experience of the spirit that's tangible, that's not abstract, that's not an idea. How can we be certain? Through the experience of His Spirit. And this is something that uh, my mentor, Jasani brought home to me, was that certainty is born from familiarity with Christ's presence. Well, when he said that, I realized how little familiarity with Christ's presence there is at the time in my life, but furthermore, one of the reasons there was so little familiarity with the presence of Jesus in my life is because there's so little familiarity with the presence of Jesus in the church and in the world. So this is, again, what I would say is the greatest crisis in the church and the world is the lack of familiarity with his presence. His presence is not an idea. His presence is not an abstraction. His presence is not something that's far from us. His presence is something that we can learn to feel. We've been created to see in the spirit, to hear in the spirit, smell, taste, touch, all five senses. And, and look, this is in the doctors of the church. This is in the writings of the saint. This is in the, in the desert fathers. They all talk about it. It's in the rabbis that God is meant to be experienced. We're meant to have a living relationship with the living God so that there's no question about it. And, and yes, he remains a mystery. And the deeper you know him, he only becomes more of a mystery. But even that mystery that you know becomes so tangible and so real that you see radical transformation, not just in your life, but in the lives of those around you because you receive for the sake of sharing with others and you become a source of overflowing, just like God's throne overflows with that river of life that flows forth from his throne. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. So this is what we're looking for. This is practical. This looks like something. This sounds like something. This feels like something. That brings us to our final reading. We're going to go into the gospel now. It's the gospel of John chapter 15. And last week, remember, Jesus had a, a great and powerful I am statement. He said, I am the good shepherd. And we learned about how the word good, and it's actually the Greek word for, for beautiful. 
And in fact, not just the Greek word for beautiful, I am the beautiful shepherd, but the word for beautiful, it also gives us the word for chalice. So I am a chalice of beauty that you could drink this goodness in and you could really know me. The, the good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. So that, that deep uh, epi, epinosis and epigenosis, these deep experiences of knowing God and of the knowledge of God. So now we get another one of these great I am statements. And of course, the, the I am reminds us of the Lord, the Lord's self-revelation at the burning bush to Moses on Mount Sinai, where he reveals himself as Yahweh, yod Hey vav Hey I am. So this is that divine name that Jesus is incorporating with different dimensions, reading, revealing more and more dimensions of who he is, showing us more and more cuts and polishes and his diamonds so that the endless light of the creator, which he is the embodiment of, uh, he's the, the fullness of the divinity deigns to dwell within him, Paul tells us. So Jesus says, here we go, Gospel of John chapter 15. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He takes away every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and every one that does, he prunes it so that it would bear more fruit. You are already pruned because of the word that I spoke to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless on its own, unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and, and I in him will bear much fruit because without me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me will be thrown out like a branch and wither. People will gather them and throw them into the fire and they will be burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. So remember the word for disciples here is from the same root word as math. So Jesus wants us to do the math. This is a great deal. And this is not just math by addition not even more than math by multiplication from the 30, 60 to the 100 fold. 30 fold is the math, but the growth by addition. 60 fold is the growth by multiplication. 100 fold is the exponential growth. This is what we're being invited to, that exceedingly great reward to be a participant. How do we do it? What's the secret? To be rooted in him who is the true vine. Also, it's beautiful in Hebrew that the word for vine is, uh, it's the same word for tree. And so this, this Jesus saying, I'm the true vine, is him saying, I am the tree of life. Come and be grafted into me. And this sense of this being, I am the vine. And if you look at it in the Greek, it has a sense of being wrapped around. So he's going to wrap around us. And we're actually going to be inside that flow of the sap as it courses through the, the true vine that flow of sap as it courses through the tree of life, that flow of sap, which is that Holy Spirit that's going to be flowing through us. I am the true vine and the Father is the vine grower. And then we talked about the cutting. He says, listen, everybody's going to get cut. If you're not bearing fruit, you're getting cut away. 
If you are bearing fruit, you're going to get cut. <laughs> this is that cut to that diamond, that sephir, that counting of the omer, the sephira of the omer, that, that cutting and polishing so that all 50 gates get open so the fullness of that bright, of God's brightness can shine through you. Uh, and, so, and, and then what are you cut by? We're cut by his word. So St. Paul says, you know, it's not about being circumcised in the flesh. It's about being circumcised in the heart. And how, what's the secret of being circumcised in the heart is the word of God circumcises the heart. So this is also, we get that image of spiritual warfare that St. Paul gives us. He says the, uh, yeah, the armor of God to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, and to take up the sword of the spirit that is the word of God so that our hearts can be circumcised and pierced and penetrated so that God can remember us so that we would be penetrated by him. The, the Hebrew word for remember is, is um, zakor, Z-A-K-O-R, zakor, uh, or zakar, Z-A-K-A-R, zakar. And so, but this word, which means remember, also means to become a sharp object that pierces. And it has actually the connotation of masculinity and femininity. Male and female, I created them. So the same word means to be a man and to be a woman means to be uh, pierced or penetrated by. But this is where the two become one and the two become fruitful. But this is what Christ is inviting us to, with, to a marriage with God where we can be penetrated and filled with his life. But we can also, he's also inviting us to penetrate into the depths of his mystery. And so why Christ was on the cross and his hands and his feet and his heart were pierced while the crown of thorns pierced his mind. And, and they, the, at the same time, the veil, as his flesh was being torn on the cross, the veil was being torn in the temple and the easy intimacy of the Garden of Eden was being released on the face of the earth and the tree of life was being revealed. And what we realize is even then when Jesus was giving this teaching that the veil was already rent, he says to Philip, he who sees me sees the Father and he who sees him sees the tree of life. We see in the book of Revelation that the throne of God is the throne of the Lamb and that the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb coincide with the, with the tree of life and that coming forth from the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb with the tree of life is the river of life flowing out into the in, in, through the center of the city of the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the invitation from God to us to be a, not just a part of that holy city, but to be a miniature version of the heavenly Jerusalem so the river of life can flow through us. So that just like John chapter 4 says, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water to well up with inside of you. And then John chapter 7 talks about uh, out of the belly of believers, rivers of living water will flow. And so Holy Spirit is in you for you, but he's on you for others. God has so much more. He wants to wreck your life with the most beautiful wreckage that, uh, trans that, that translates absolute destruction into absolute resurrection resurrection so that you see yourself as transfigured and you will start to see the lives of those around you as transfigured, trained, raised up like the phoenix rises up from the ashes. So this is such an exciting time. We're halfway to Pentecost. May 13th marks the ascension when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Then we have the last nine days winding up with Pentecost is actually going to be on the, I got it right here. Da -da 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 -da. Here, Pentecost is going to be on May 23rd. So what would be the 8th, 8th day 
of eighth, eighth Sunday of the Easter season. So brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining me for Inscription, where we explore identity, intimacy, and mission. The more we come into agreement with who he says he is and who he says we are, the more we experience nearness to him. The more we experience the new near nearness, the more he sends us out on the mission. The secret to the mission is intimacy. The deeper we go in intimacy, the more fruitful we'll be in mission. We can actually be a part of that very much fruit. We welcome the cuts of the Creator that come with His Word of God that circumcise our hearts so the fullness of His brightness could shine forth. Uh, and also just a reminder that we'll be here every Friday with with teach with prophetic teaching based on the readings for the Sunday and then we'll be here on every Sunday with fire on the altar a time of resting in that worship and pressing in deeper to the father's heart bless you guys we'll see you next week <laughs>